<laughs> Welcome to Dominion Church. We're so glad that you're here. For those of you joining us on Facebook, on our YouTube channel at Dominion Church SC, or maybe you're joining us on our podcast experience, we're glad that you are here with us. It means the world to us. And do us a favor, uh, if this blesses you, like it, share it. That way others can be blessed uh, as a result. And that's really what this is about. We want people to have an encounter with Jesus in a way that will transform them forever. And one of the things that I'm confident about Jesus is this. Once you meet him, you know, you're ruined. You're, you're ruined for everybody else, right? He, he becomes your, your driving force. He becomes your soul's af affection. And so I uh, just want to encourage you in that. So we're going to continue in this series. This is week three, session three on this series that we have been in called The Sound Mind. The Sound Mind. And so if I can just take a three, three minutes, you guys pray for me to recap two sessions. We're going to do it. So in the first session, we talked about love and the weak mindset that we had to deal with was I must love God. And the sound mindset we replaced that with was God loves me. And we began to look at our, our capacity to love is born out of a revelation of his love for us. Uh, and so it's interesting that since that's true, that we start to put all the, all the focus and ability on our ability to love God, right? And if we're not careful, it actually elevates our love to a place that is above his love. Right? No, we love because he first loved us. Uh, and then, so we just opened that up. We opened up what agape love is all about, true unconditional love. Um, and uh, it's something that we don't earn, something we don't deserve, but God gives it to us. It's also another term I love. It's also a beautiful book by the same title, One Way Love. God is so confident in his love for us, he doesn't need us to love him in return for him to continue to love us. Uh, and so it truly is love without strings attached. But once we encounter that love, something happens to us, right? We, we saw in Romans 5, God, God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe we need to stop putting focus on our ability to sin and put focus on his ability to love. And then that drinks, brings about true repentance. You know, some of us believe that our ability to fail has gr a greater capacity to alter God's plan and purpose than his ability to be victorious and forgive and, and uh, restore and, you know, all these things. So again, if you ever are in doubt of who is going to have the benefit in your relationship concerning what's going to happen, it's going to be on God's side. Go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt. His reconciliation is going gonna, is gonna to beat whatever you can try to mess up. I promise you that. Now, that being said, Paul exhorts us that's not an excuse to try to mess things up, but it means once you have a revelation of what you're exposed to, why in the world would you go back to something lesser than, right? When you have that extravagant grace in your life, why in the world would you keep sinning? Uh, we're done with that, right? It's like seeing the best movie on earth and then you go back to B-movie real. We don't want to go there, right? Uh, Sound Mind Part 2, our session last week, I Am Forgiven. Man, we had a blast with that session. Week mindset number two that we had to dismantle, God can forgive. And we really hinge that whole thought on can. In other words, you know, if you really beg and you really plead with him, he, you know, he can forgive, but he, he doesn't have to, and he, and he may not if you're not careful. But then we replaced it with this sound mindset, God has forgiven. And when you realize that you're walking into the forgiveness of God, right? For the forgiveness, 
there's so much of the way we even approach God. You know, God's not looking for a family that's begging for forgiveness. He's looking for a family that understands repentance, right? Because forgiveness is already applied in your life. You, when, you, when you talk about forgiveness, you're stepping into a, a vast ocean that represents the heart and nature of God. He is the forgiver. But God, if you, if you go and look at the New Testament, there's a lot more to say about repentance than there is forgiveness. Why? Because forgiveness has already been provided. But he wants us to change our mind concerning all that stuff. Change your mind concerning who you think you are, who you think he is. And if we can walk as repentant sons and daughters, that lends itself to mature sons and daughters, then once we have a revelation of that, we can start to forgive others. There's also this imperative connection between what grace looks like walked out in our lives and forgiveness. That's really what grace is. We taught the overwhelming you know, uh, love of God. We taught the grace of God. Grace is God providing forgiveness for all offenses past, present, and future. And then how grace is applied in our lives, we can actually learn how to walk in forgiveness concerning others, right? Uh, and so I just want to encourage you, one of the things the Holy Spirit really worked with me on kind of in my deep dive in grace back in 2014 and 2015, he said, the thing you cry out for from me, you need to be eager to also give it to those that cry out for it from you. Oh, how many times, God, give me grace. And he's like, of course, son. Someone says, Matthew, give me grace. You don't deserve it. You punk. You know what you did, right? The, <laughs> the very thing we crave, we're not willing to give. So come on, guys. Um, what, what was that? Uh, there was a good quote I shared. Yeah, Bill Vanderbush, and then we're going to move on. You cannot give away what you have not first received. So, so if you can't show someone grace, there's still a shallow revelation of how much grace you've been given, right? You must receive grace as a gift before you can give it. The best way to move forward for giving yourself is to extend the grace you've been given to someone who you're convinced doesn't deserve it. Then you see the fruit of it in your life. Oh, there it is. All right, so now we're going to jump into part three of the sound mind, the goodness of God. We're going to start this session the same way we're going to start however many sessions this series ends up being. We're going to start with our, our foundational verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. I'm going to remind us of that every session. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Sound mind is also translated as self-control or self-discipline. That is something really neat to ponder. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. This is the God power. This is not might and strength. In other words, it's not saying if you can try hard enough, you're going to know how to you know, uh, have a sound mind. No, it's not about trying. It's about relying on the God power, dunamis power. And then love, the Greek word for love in this verse, 2 Timothy 1.7, is the word agape, which means the God kind of love. So now if you're doing that equation in your imagination, like we've done the first two sessions, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. So if there's an unsound mind... Fear is the result of that, that unsoundness, wherever it is prevalent and present in your life. Fear equals unsound mind, okay? God power and God love equals a sound mind. Dunamis and agape equals a sound mind. So there's areas where you struggle, areas where you've got frustration, anxiety, stress, and fear. You need to invite the God kind of power and the God kind of love into that situation. When you do that, your mind will be put at rest. It will be put at ease concerning that issue. It doesn't even necessarily mean the issue will be solved. 
Because let's talk about a person. Let's say that person, you're, they're still unrepentant and they still hate you. But you can apply the God kind of power and the God kind of love to that situation. And as far as the dynamic of your relationship is concerned, your mind is sound. One of the things the Holy Spirit reminds me over and over again, when someone really just makes me upset and you can tell they're lashing out in pain, the Holy Spirit, it's like a mantra. Remember, Matt, hurt people, hurt people. And then I'm like, oh, man, I really wanted to be upset with them. So then what does the Holy Spirit do? He said, challenge you. Go after the pain. That's what you got to do. Don't complain about, you know, the lashing out. Help them get rid of that pain, right? And, and man, that's, that's tough. I get it. But that's what the Lord is calling us to do. Okay, so let's get into this. That's the foundation. You have a sound mind. Amen. Some of us need to decree it by faith, but we're going to decree it nevertheless. I have a sound mind. It is given to us by work of the Holy Spirit. So 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. God is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. So weak mindset, number three. So we're going to be dealing with in this session, I have to be good. That is a weak mindset because a lot of it hinges on that word have, have, I have to be. So in other words, it puts the responsibility on us to be good. For what purpose? If you feel like you have to be something and you have no choice in the matter, why? There's an eventuality to your thought process. What are you trying to gain from having to be something? So if I have to be good, does that mean you're having to be good because you want to be validated as a son? You want to make sure God's pleased with you? You want to make sure that, uh, you know, he's not going to withhold anything from you because of your bad behavior? What, what is it? What is the connect the dots in this thought process? Because if you already know your beloved son, why are you having to be good to be a son? You don't have to be good to be a son. If he's a good father that already delights in you, then why does your behavior, does your behavior change his heart towards you? So if we can start answering some of these questions, honestly, we have to go back and reevaluate the statement. Because the truth is, I don't have to be good. Why? Because the sound mindset, God is good. And I would even add, God is good enough for you. You don't have to be good enough for him. He's good enough for you. And that is what we're going to jump into. Are you ready? Okay. First thing, now, you know, when I was even working on these notes for this session, I was like, you know what? It wasn't too many years ago. I might have even disagreed with myself on some of this stuff. I, I might have even called myself maybe a heretic or something. You know, and, and today, actually, I don't even like the word heretic. I think it's totally overused, and it's just more of a, a shock tactic than anything else. I mean, true historical heresy was when people were willingly trying to... Heretic. I've met people that are trying to explore thought processes that not, not everyone's on board concerning. And then I found this. A lot of the things that were the heresies of yesterday become the truth of today. So what do you do with that? I mean, guys... Jesus was crucified because the charge against him was he was a heretic for claiming what? That he was the son of God. Now we'll walk around right now with confidence saying, I'm a child of God. So it's funny how the heresies of yesterday become the truth of today. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this, just walk in a little bit of grace. Don't have too many knee-jerk reactions. 
us into truth. You know, just because something doesn't, you know, work with us today doesn't. If it's not truth, we can trust the Holy Spirit with that because he will help us get it out of our system and keep moving forward. Is that okay? I'm not talking about God right now. He's good. You are good. There's, there's a lot of places that wouldn't fly. So we're going to jump into this. James 1, verse 4. Every good and perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights. Remember, it was like it was yesterday, I was actually supposed to be doing a Bible study for leaders. This is in Kenya. This is out in the middle of nowhere. And, and our church was actually the front porch of someone's home. There's pictures somewhere for this on record. There are like 50. And, and, and the pastor, whoever is heading up that meeting, said, I just want you to minister just your heart. Gifts. And so I was, okay, so I'm hearing that, and so I'm, I'm turning, okay, James, let's get James 1-4. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And I was like, well, okay, how does that apply? And he says, you're missing something. Holy Spirit, you're missing something. What am I missing? That every good and perfect gift comes down from the... Father of lights. Okay, well, so he sends good and perfect gifts. I get it. He said, no, you're missing it. Every good and perfect gift has a father. Oh, so wait, good and perfect gifts are kids. Otherwise, why use the language of father? Why not just say every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from God? That would help us from a father. So tell them they are good and perfect gifts. They come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Right now, what we're dealing with is that you are good. It's not because Matthew says you're good. It's because your Father says you are good. And some of us, it may take a while. You're going to have to say it to yourself. Behavior to our goodness. And then we try to define our level of goodness based on how we define how good or bad our behavior is. God doesn't do that. See, goodness in the economy of God is identity, not behavior. If he says you're good, he's not saying try to be good, aspire to be good. He's saying own it. This is who you are. I'm your good father. My kids look like me. You carry my same DNA. So a good father, which he is, has good kids. You are a good and perfect gift. You've come down from the father of lights. So again, let's go back to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, I shared this joke this morning. It didn't go over very well. But Genesis, if you don't know where it is in your Bible, start in Revelation, hang a hard left, and you will find the book of Genesis. See, it didn't go very good here either. It's all right. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Just, okay. Genesis 1, verse 31. Can I, can I give you, you guys all know Genesis 1, but can I give you a little backdrop? 
God is speaking the language of creation. The, the first language he ever speaks that we identify is creation language. Let there be, let there be. And he continues and goes and all these amazing, he creates everything that exists is because of his word. But then he gets to the crowning jewel of his achievements. He creates man. And everything else he declared was good after he creates man, he said, it's very good. You miss that? That's subtle, but there's something to that. Because very good implies that there's a little more goodness on this than there is on everything else. And again, I'm not saying you're good because Matthew thinks you're good. I'm saying you're good because your father says you're good. And he declared that from the beginning. You know, uh, I, got, I got to chase this rabbit trail because it's just too good. It's been ministering to life to me for several weeks now. But when you consider John, one of the reasons I so appreciate the writings of John, so we talk the gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Revelation, is that John picks up on the creation language of God. He, he picks up on it. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. He picks up on God's original language. And I want to submit God's language of creation is connected to his expression of love. John had that revelation in spades. I, John, the beloved of Jesus. And he lives out that revelation. Right? All of his peers are martyred long before they should have been. John gets to live out his life. And at the time he's writing 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, we're talking about nearly 40 years, a generation removed from the earthly ministry of Jesus. And how does John boil down all that revelation? He boils it down into this thought, God is love. So after 40 years of walking it out, the apostle John figured it out, God is love. All right? And then if you go on, you guys know, I love preaching out of 1st John 4. You begin to realize that perfect love cast out fear. Right? Perfect love. That word perfect also means unconditional. So now let's think about it. Let's go back to Genesis. The first language God ever used was creation language. And when he created man, it says that he fashioned him out of the dust of the earth and breathed into him the breath of life. The first breath ever taken on the earth was not from Adam. It was from God. Okay, you missed that. We'll try it over here. The first breath ever taken in the earth was not from Adam. It was from God himself. When he breathed, the breath of life into Adam. And when he did that, if you can hear this now in your spirit, unconditional love went into that form. And when that form took on life, God saw a reflection of himself in the form. He saw unconditional love reflecting back at him. You're not good because Matthew says you're good. You're good because your father says you're good. The way God started is God's intention all along. He's made us of vessels of unconditional love. You can't disappoint him if you try. I'm not encouraging you to try. I'm saying, but that's not in the cards. He's so head over heels in love with you. He is so, in his heart, you are so secure in who you are as a son and daughter that he's bought into a hook, line, and sinker. And it's not like it's a trick. It's, it's the real thing. It seems like a fallacy to us, but it's real, very real to him. And so what is God looking for? You know, again, one of my dear mentors, he used to say, God's always out looking for God. And what attracts God is God, right? And so when we talk about his manifestation of his presence and all that, what do you think we're talking about? He's having a meeting with 
with God, with himself. Now, I'm not saying you're God. Come on, God's not you. You're not him. But what I'm saying is he's invited us to the family. We carry the same DNA. We reflect the same nature. After all, what is the kingdom of God but righteousness, peace, and joy? So how does the earth identify that we're kingdom men and women? We reflect righteousness, peace, and joy. Who else reflects righteousness, peace, and joy? Jesus. You guys, are you okay? Okay. I think what's happened is we, we thought the revelation made us become something we're not supposed to become. Remember, Jesus, he's only one man. He's only ever going to be one man. But we are part of the Christ. We are the anointed one. And that's because of his doing, not because of ours. That's part of the greater works of Jesus. I can't go into all this right now. I feel like I want to preach for a minute. So Jesus, he knows. He said, I've got to go, okay, because it's good for me to go. Because you're going to do greater works. If I can get out of here, you're going to do greater works than what you've seen me do. That doesn't mean that literally someone's going to be greater than Jesus. It just means that the capacity through which we demonstrate Jesus is going to be on a grander scale than he could ever do by himself. So one Jesus raising the dead versus a global anointed one. You guys hear what I'm saying? Come on. One Jesus healing the sick versus a global family of believers called the corporate Christ the many-membered body of Christ, you're going to do greater things than I could do. And it's by design, guys. It's by design. You know, again, I was ministered at another church this morning, and one of the things I shared was in Jesus' entire earthly ministry, where Greer is centered, he traveled as far as Jacksonville, Florida. That's as far as he ever went in his earthly ministry. Guys, we can hop on a plane, and we can be in Japan tomorrow. We'll be on the other side of the world releasing the gospel. The other side of the world, laying hands on the sick. And that's just one example. The other example is, through that camera right there, I can be in Japan right now, and I don't have to leave Greer. You guys see what I'm saying? (laughs) Uh, But the reason we're not convinced that we get to fit in in the the greater works is because we're not convinced that we even qualify to be a part of the lesser work. Most of us are just trying to aspire to do what Jesus did, and we're not even sure we deserve that because we don't know what God knows about us. He knows that you're good. And if we can start right there, it goes a long way, right? And I get it. You know, all these pious thoughts, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm rotten at the core. But, you know, I think there's a song out there right now talking about, um, I can't, I can't, I don't even, I don't even know the words. I don't know why I'm trying to say it. But just something about, um, I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. If I just ruined somebody's favorite song, I'm sorry. But that is not who you are or what you are. You are not a beggar in the presence of... You're a prince. You're a prince and a princess in the court of your father. Come on, it's the same place as Scripture says you have access to come boldly before the throne of grace. Why? Well, there's two reasons. First of all, because Jesus opened that way through the veil that was his flesh. But also, you have every right to be in the royal courts because you share the DNA of the king who is your father. Princes do not shy away from walking into the throne room of God. Why? Because he's their dad. Come on. I'm not a beggar in the presence of a king. I'm a prince in the presence of a king. It shifts your confidence all of a sudden. I'm not trying to get something from him. I want to represent him well. Right? So the next thing we want to look at is good works. Good works. This is another way we try to identify our goodness is by works. And this is nothing new, but I think I'm going to help us in some ways maybe we haven't thought about this before. 
So the assumption of works is connected to doing good. So when you see this question posed in Scripture about works, good works, the the implication is, what good things can we do to gain X, Y, Z? If it's approval, if it's revival, if it's a breaking of a, a plague or a, you know, a drought, okay, what must we do? They're, they're, the assumption is we're bad, and so we need to do good things because obviously we're doing bad things to make this happen. So God, show us the good things. And before we think that that is isolated to Scripture, uh, depending on what circles you run in the modern church, it's the same thing that they're talking about all the time. The same thing. Well, God, I mean, we all know America's in the state it is because we're, we're just bad, you know? I mean, God needs to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. He's letting America get away with all kind of stuff. The, the day of his judgment is nigh. The cup of his wrath is full. Doesn't that sound encouraging? And, uh, and, and well, church, it's, a, it's our fault. It's our fault, church. We have dropped the ball. We're not pleasing the Lord. We're not fasting. We're not praying. And if we're not careful, all those things fall under the category of works. Why? Because we're convinced for God to move, it's not about his goodness, it's about ours. Yeah, that's not how it's going to work. It's not how it works, okay? So let's jump into this a little bit. Titus chapter 3, we'll start at verse 4 and read a few of these verses. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, let's stop right there. That is how it works from the get-go. I'm not waiting on Matthew's goodness to appear. I want to see his goodness appear. That's how it works. His goodness has appeared. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. What's he say? It's not because you did good stuff to make a good God manifest himself. That is not the narrative of the, of the life and ministry of Jesus. You guys get that, right? When Jesus came in on the scene, it was one of the most hostile environments imaginable in the landscape of human, human history. There was, they weren't doing anything to attract a good God. Not in the way that we would qualify him. I mean, at this point, God had been silent for 400 years because he was sick and tired of being misrepresented. You know what? I'm going to send Jesus. So we're not saved because of our righteous work, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So I want you to hear this. We're going to do another verse here in just a moment. I thought this is so good. He tells us, your good father didn't show up because of your good works. He showed up because of his abounding mercy. And if you guys, if you've already forgotten that verse we started with in 1 Chronicles 16, 34, oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, and his mercy endures forever. God doesn't need us to be good for him to be good. If that were the, ca the case, God's trying to reflect our nature. That's not how it works. No, God in his mercy, as a good father, interjects himself into a system of chaos. 
interjects himself into a system of darkness and desperation. And from there, he understands his gift of loving kindness, his gifts of mercy, his nature as a good father begins to spread as this effect of being planted as a seed and begins to spread out to those who at that moment don't look very good. His goodness overcomes them. So again, this thought, it wasn't our good righteous works that attracted him. Then look at that in verse 8. I love this. So that those who believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Whoa. So it wasn't my good works that attract him. But once I have an encounter with him, I begin to do good works. Hmm. That's interesting. We got to get the order right. My good works don't attract a good father. My good father gives me the capacity to do good work. And also what that does, that puts the good work in the proper focus. My good work doesn't earn things from him. My good work is a fruit of my relationship with him. That good. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. Wait, before I read that, I want to share this thought. So we talked about the assumption of works is connected to doing good. This was also the essential focus of the works of the law that are mentioned over and over again. So if you're not careful, your good works start looking a lot like the law. That's a, I mean, that's what self-righteous good works are. That is one of the primary issues that Jesus was combating against during, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Because they had, all, in, in their ledger, man, they had every box checked. I do it all right. I do it all well. I am so good that I'm better than that person. I know that. Check, check. And Jesus is like, you guys are missing it. You kept the law, but there's no life in it. Right? There's no life in it. So if we're not careful, we'll adopt the same position. My good works, if I'm not careful, they become the work of the law. And it's as subtle as this. Not doing the work out of my identity, but trying to do the work out of my strength. One is a beloved son and daughter. Hey, I'm doing this because I've been exposed to the goodness of God and it gives me the capacity to do good. The other is I'm doing this to gain approval from a good father. You don't need to gain his approval. We need to purge our vocabulary of phrases like that. We, we do. I'm, I'm challenging you. It's a challenge too. I get it. We don't need to gain approval from him. He, you are approved. I don't need to gain love. I am loved. Anything you could possibly want from God, he's already provided for. It, it provided. Okay? So in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 10, that go along with that statement I just made, the essential focus of works of the law that are mentioned over and over again, that's the assumption that our works are good. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. Maybe, maybe one of your translations says, and this is not out of your works. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Can you imagine when Paul is writing the church in Ephesus, they are well, I mean, they're very well familiar with people that have come in boasting in their ability to keep the law. And then Paul comes along and says, this is not that you can boast out of your own work. This, is, this gift is through the, the mystical power of Jesus. It's through faith. No work required. But then look at this. I love how he pivots. Paul is so, so brilliant in this, in this way. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So he just told us, the life you live is not the result of works. 
You are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So again, he's showing us there is a distinction between working for him and working out of the fruit of knowing who you are in him. One, you call good works. The other is true good works. Another way to say it is this. I'm not saved by good works, but I'm saved unto good works. Now, when I say that, I've had people ask me, does that mean you can't do any good outside of Jesus? I'm like, well, I don't think it means that. But I mean the true good works begin when you know Jesus. Because you can do great, you can do philanthropy, you can bless people, you can help the homeless. I mean, you can do all kinds of amazing good things. But if for one moment you think those good things bring you extra validation in the eyes of God, then we find out what your works actually total up. They total up as to the works of the law, right? They can still be good, but they're not unto good. An encounter with Jesus is unto good. In other words, my capacity for good has been taken to a whole different level at this point, right? You can be walking down the street and you're walking in good work. You can be, you can be, uh, you know, putting in wires in sheet, you know, behind sheetrock, and it's good. It's good works. You can just have a conversation with someone over a cup of coffee, and they're being exposed to the goodness of God. Come on, and it's part of the good works. We try to mystify everything. One of the things that I've begun to discover is the deeper I plummet the depths of who God is, I find out that it's more simple than what I ever gave Him credit for. Where he's talking, look, the mystery that you're trying to fly into outer space to get is the mystery I'm trying to birth at your kitchen table. I'm trying to birth it at Christmas when you're around family members you can't stand. I'm trying to birth it as you just endure some hardship with joy. And there, behold the mystery of the goodness of God on display in your life. Wow. <laughs> and then, uh, and so we've got to finish the last thought on that. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, or your translation may say unto good works, which I love that which God prepared beforehand. Once again, so much of our Christian journey is catching up to what God's already done. Do you realize he's got a whole storehouse of something called good work that he prepared beforehand that you would one day walk into? And when you walk into it, you think, man, this is amazing. I've never seen such good work. And God's like, welcome to the storehouse. There's good works in here for days. I purposed this beforehand. For what purpose? That you should walk in them. Do you see the contrast between the law? Come on, the works of the law and being saved unto good works. The works of the law, it's always going to be separation between you and God. But if you understand you're being saved unto good works, you realize the good works are already prepared for me. All I have to do is walk in them. Come on, it's a daily journey. It's a lifestyle. I mean, yes, it's definitely a privilege, but it's not anything I have to do to earn his favor, his goodness, his grace, his mercy. Man, we're just walking out the good life. Saved under good works. So how do we close this out? So dealing with that weak mindset, I have to be good. I hope that I've helped us begin to at least buy into this thought. No, you don't have to be. If, if that is what your life hinges on is that word have, I have to be. Because there's a stress in that word. It, it, it reeks of performance-ism. You know, we're reminded, like in Isaiah, you know, the, the best we have to author are filthy rags. 
What he's trying to say is by contrast. It's not literally saying if you do something good, it's terrible. No, he's saying by contrast to the immeasurable goodness of God, our good works out of our own strength don't equal up to anything. It's the same thing being said here in Ephesians. You know, you can do good works all day long, but until you have the revelation you're saved unto good works, we're talking about good works times 10. This is on a whole different level. When you realize the good works do not earn gratification from your father, it doesn't, it doesn't earn acceptance or put you already have it. Man, I can do good works now with reckless abandon. I can take risks all day long because these good works were made for me and now I just got to walk them out. So the sound mindset is God is good. I want you to hear this as we finish out this session. God is not only good, he's good enough. He's good enough. He's good enough for you. Yeah, I love the way Tullian Chavidjan says it. He said, God is good, so I don't have to be. Now, see, when you hear that, there are two kinds of responses to that. Some people are like, well, praise God, I get to go and raise hell. That's not what I'm saying. Remember, this all hinges on how do you understand goodness. Do you believe your good work causes him to manifest as a good father? If so, your work is greater than his ability. But if you understand your capacity to do good is because you're in an intimate relationship with a good father, it changes everything. I don't have to be good because he's good enough. So now I get to live out of his goodness. We get to be good in ways we never dreamed possible. Reflecting supernatural, heavenly kingdom goodness. Like I said, just walking down the street, you may be walking through Walmart and the goodness of God's radiating. <laughs> Talking to someone at Target, man, and they're exposed to the goodness of God. Wow. Isn't that something else? Let, let's take this profound knowledge and wisdom and make it simple so we can live with it. That's what God intended. That's, that's one of the reasons he came in the flesh. He wanted us to figure out how to live with God. Right? We didn't do a very good job in the escape of history, but... Uh, I think we got the point at this, this time. At least we're working on it. God wants you to figure out how to live with him because he, he loves living with us. No doubt about it. Lord, I just thank you for who you are. Lord, I thank you that these words, they are spirit, they are life. And Lord, I, I pray that what we're talking about today, it just goes and it reaches, reaches people's hearts. You know, if you're listening to this right now and you're like, man, I... I just, I never felt like I measured up. I never felt like I was good enough. I just want to encourage you, first of all, you don't have to be. It's not about your goodness, it's about his. It's about his goodness. And I want to encourage you, brother, sister, that he's good enough for you. And he wants you to be exposed to his goodness. He wants you to have an encounter, give thanks to him. He's good. His mercy endures forever. Lord, I just thank you that one of the ways that we know that we are, that we've had a revelation with goodness is we begin to reflect the very thing that's grabbed us, it's got a hold of us. And I can't give, I can't reflect what I have not yet received. And so Lord, I just thank you. I, I've never prayed this before, but just a revelation of how good you are. Some of us need an encounter. Some of us need an encounter with the goodness of God. So Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for supernatural, mind-blowing encounters with your goodness. And, and I, I even hear this in the Spirit. Some of you 
When you see how good he demonstrates himself, you're going to feel undeserving. And I hear the Lord saying, that's okay for a moment, but you don't get to live there. This is not, even that, even that word deserving is something we have to be careful with how we apply it to our lives. Because God deems us worthy. It's not about how we obtain worth. But again, we have to receive who he says we are. And so I just see his goodness in places you, you just thought that's it. It's not going to happen. And then there's his goodness. You know, a verse I, I forgot to include in this session was in Romans. is the goodness of God that causes us to repent, that draws us to repentance. See, religion teaches us it's our sin that causes us to need to repent. No, it's actually his goodness that causes us to repent. Because when you're exposed to goodness in the middle of your chaos, it makes you want to change your mind. <laughs> oh, Lord, I thank you for an encounter with goodness that causes us to change our minds. Anybody ready to have their mind changed about some things? You're going to see God being so good. You're like, man, i got to change my mind about that. Wow, he, he is truly better than I thought. I mean, I've heard people say that he'll make a way where there seems to be no way. Man, I just saw him literally make a way where there was, I didn't see a way. But we just thank you. Whatever that looks like. For some of you, it's financial. For some of you, it's physical, relational. Uh, maybe it's all of those things. God's going to show his goodness in some amazing, tangible ways. Lord, I just decree these things now by faith. You're so good. In the strong and mighty and very good name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Again, YouTube, Facebook, share this. If you're on a podcast experience, we love you. Thanks for your support. And we will see you again for our next session. Bless you.